Okay, so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 3. Uh, we're going to basically be dealing with, oh, one story, but there's like three main points to it. So, um, encountering resistance without and within. So, what starts the resistance? Uh, we're going to see that here in Acts chapter 3, but I, I want you to think about it with me for just a minute. Uh, what have Christians been blamed for in this country? <laughs> well, just about everything might be true, but let's talk about some things that you may have heard about on the news or uh, social media or something like that. What have Christians been blamed for? Huh? Being intolerant. And have some Christians, or those who would at least accept the name, been intolerant? Sure, yeah. Okay. Nationalism, yeah, that's a big, big deal right now. Those nationalist Christians, Ooh, we want to make the United States of America a Christian country. Uh, oh, yeah, we're definitely homophobic, yeah. Taking away women's rights. Absolutely amazing when you know the truth about that statement. It's kind of like, uh, no. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Hateful, yeah, yeah. That goes back to that homophobic and taking away women's rights. Hypocrites? hypocrites? Are, are there hypocrites in the church sometimes? Do, do we act hypocritical sometimes? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. At the grocery store. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's hypocrites at the Cardinals game tonight and <laughs> everywhere. There's always hypocrites, Okay. Ah, yeah, not being open-minded. I was listening to uh, John MacArthur and Larry King this morning in an old interview because uh, Larry has gone on to his reward. <laughs> and uh, there was another preacher there, and, <clears throat> of course, John and this other preacher disagreed. And uh, John just kept on going back to, well, the Word of God uh, says. The Word of God says. And, well, yeah, that's your interpretation of it. And, kind of, wow, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we're pretty uh, narrow-minded, thinking there's only one way to get to heaven. It's, it's terrible. Uh, let me see. Who said that? M Mark Twain? No, no. <laughs> um, so the reality is, is very often when you analyze the uh, criticisms of the church, though there may be a measure of truth in those. And, and if there is a measure of truth in those, we as believers need to recognize, look, sometimes the way we speak truth might not be the most loving way it could be done. Because the Bible does say, speak the truth in love, right? But if you'll analyze a lot of those things, it really comes down to, here's the light shining in darkness, and men love darkness, they do not want light shining in those areas. Uh, and so when we come to their criticisms and ultimately the pointing of the finger, I mean, if you look back at the first century, uh, it was Christians who burned down uh, the city of Rome. Uh, it was, you know, it's Christians that did. The reality is, is if you look at history and examine a variety of things that we would consider good in America today, Christians did start those things. Hospitals, 
schools, uh, any number of programs that deal with people that have uh, addictions or they're uh, homeless and needing help. Very often, yeah, Christians did do that. Uh, But uh, let's consider uh, resistance here. Uh, Notice in verses 1 to 11, we'll read that first. Uh, This is what starts the resistance. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment, at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. Okay? So, the purpose of miracles. Think about it with me for just a moment. In the Bible's history, so you're talking about the first century, all the way back to Moses' to Abraham. Abraham is 2000, 2100 BC. So over a 2000 year, 2200 year period of time, how many times are miracles a norm? Not many is a correct answer. Specifically, four times. You've got Moses and Joshua. Okay? You've got Elijah and Elisha. You've got Daniel and his buddies. And you've got Jesus and the apostles. Now, that's not saying that there wasn't another miracle here or there, but those four times is really just about all the miracles in the Bible, unless you want to talk about creation. But no one's there to witness that except for God who did it. So, but, uh, uh, so, Miracles are miracles because they're rare. Uh, if you listen to some of the preachers on TV and the radio today, all you got to do is name it, claim it, and all that kind of stuff. Kind of like, it's not a miracle if everybody can do it at any time they want to, okay? Miracles serve a purpose, and they're miracles because they're rare. So purpose of miracles, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Who's that? Well, Jesus is the Lord. Who heard him? Okay, the disciples. Now they're confirming it to us, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders. So notice 
the disciples are the ones that are performing the signs and wonders to confirm that Jesus is Lord, the gospel is the way to heaven, etc. So with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. That pretty well covers, yeah, according to his will, that's pretty important too. That pretty well covers uh, the preaching of the gospel from Jesus through the apostles. You can talk about the third generation, but they were the ones that it was confirmed to and preached to. That's it. So what's the purpose of miracles here? To confirm the message is from God. Okay? In the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, letter B, we still have the responsibility to test the message. Because wouldn't it be neat if someone came in here right now and did some healing, right? That, that'd be kind of neat. You'd be open to it. You wouldn't have to get that hip replaced, <laughs> okay? Uh, but usually with the miracle, now we're going to talk, uh, talk to you about something. Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5, let me read this for you. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let's go up after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and it goes on. So notice the purpose of miracles is to confirm the message, but you still got to examine the message, okay? In the Old Testament, someone comes along, and he uh, shows you a sign or a wonder, and then he says, now, seeing as I have the power of God, we need to go over here and serve Baal. Uh-uh-uh. In fact, this guy, you need to take down to the river and get him stoned. I mean, stone him, okay? That's what you were supposed to do to false teachers. How about First uh, Thessalonians 5, 20... Uh, through 22, it says, do not despise prophecies. Now, for our uh, sakes, don't despise the preaching of the word, okay? But test all things. Everything is said, and pastor has said this, I have said this, we need to be like Bereans. Just because we're saying it doesn't give you the right to say, oh, okay, the Bible said, no, 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 you, you go and check, okay? Test all things, Hold fast to what is good. Hang on to the good teaching. Abstain from every form of evil. Now that, that part of the verse has been twisted so many ways, we, we don't even need to talk about it. But it's part of this context. Stay away from bad Bible teaching. Okay? Uh, I'll give you an example. Tony Evans, a black preacher, used to be the... Uh, chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys, and since he left, they haven't won. No, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> um, he, he believes in what he calls trans-dispensationalism. Now, I, I don't know if you've heard Tony Evans speak. He's a good speaker, okay? Solid gospel message. But if someone has never heard the gospel and they really believe in God, he believes that God's going to translate them to a different dispensation where they didn't need to believe the gospel so that they can be saved. 
By the way, Billy Graham believed the same kind of thing. He didn't quite spell it out that way. And the only time you're ever going to hear them say these kinds of things is when someone asks them specifically. They would never preach this from the pulpit because they're preaching the gospel. But if you just really, really believe, somehow God's going to get you in there. Kind of like, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it. Seems as though the Bible says you got to believe the gospel. Tony says, well, if you really, really, really believe and you've never heard the gospel, God's going to move you to a different dispensation where you didn't really have to know the gospel to be saved. So hang on to the good. Tony's a good preacher. You're going to hear a lot of good things there. Stay away from the bad stuff, okay? Which means you have to know your Bible and you have to discern, right? Okay, so uh, we have that uh, from, from Thessalonians. Then 1 John 4, 1 through 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and because of time, you can read that on your own. But again, notice, you have a responsibility to be listening with ears that are discerning. Uh, is this what God's Word says? That kind of thing. Okay? Uh, now, that is the purpose of miracles and the responsibility of the people that are seeing those kinds of things. But the reason why we talk about that is because here we come up to Peter and John. They heal this lame man. They uh, gives us the circumstances for the meeting in verses 1 to 5. Uh, Peter and John, they don't have any money, uh, so they give them what they have. They tell them to rise up in the name of Jesus, and then they help them up. Uh, notice in verses 9 and 10, everyone's attention is drawn to the healed man. They know who he is. They recognize him. Uh, and then everyone's attention is drawn to Peter and John because the healed man is kind of hanging on to both of them. Hey, look what these guys did for me. So that's our miracle. Now, the reason why that's important is because did Peter and John do something good? And yet this good thing is going to bring about resistance. Okay? And the reason why I say that is because if you're walking with Jesus, chances are you're going to do some good things that someone is going to twist in their mind and somehow you're the problem. This is not uncommon. Okay? I, I saw a TikTok video here recently. If I had known that by protesting 20, 25 years ago for equal rights and marriage of homosexuals and lesbians would turn into the pedophilia crowd being, quote-unquote, needing to be accepted by everybody, I would have never done it. The funny thing is, is I saw another video where a homosexual guy says, you know, you guys told us. You told us this was going to happen. Here we are protesting for our rights to get married and everything. And you said, as soon as you open that door, then all this stuff is going to happen. And now we see it happening. The woman said, if I had known this was going to happen, I would have never gone there. Uh, who was supposedly legislating morality by saying, no, we shouldn't do that? We were doing a good thing because we knew you cross these lines 
And it just opens the next door where now I, I actually uh, saw a video where they were explaining the pedophile flag, I mean the MAPS flag, the minor attracted persons flag. Uh, you've got two pink stripes and two blue stripes. Uh, this one likes girls. This one likes boys. And then there's uh, some yellow stripes in there, I think. And that is for uh, you're not wanting to offend <laughs> yeah, because Jesus said you offend one of these little ones, you know what I mean? And then you got the white flat, the white stripe in there that's for innocence. Kind of like, oy vey. Uh, how can anybody justify that kind of thing? And yet, what is our society doing? We're trying to make it normal, just like back in the mid-80s, they were trying to make homosexual uh, activities just an alternative love style. Okay? Uh, so here, good thing, we're, we're saying no to this kind of stuff. No to abortion. No, And we get resistance. We're, we're the bad ones. Well, let's see what happens. Let her be the message. In verses 12 through 26, let me go ahead and read those for you. Uh, verse 12 says, When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life, which uh, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him uh, this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers, I know that you did it in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. But what God predicted through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Therefore, Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed uh, for you as the Messiah. Heaven must welcome him until the times of the restoration of all things which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him in everything he will say to you. And everyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also announced these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying that Abraham, saying to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So in verses 12 through 26, here's the message. It's no wonder people didn't like it necessarily, but here's the message. First of all, uh, putting the attention where it needs to be in verses 12 and 13. Letter A, consider questions to consider. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? You know what that means? You guys should know that this is the kind of thing that would happen. 
Uh, the reality is, is if you go back to Daniel chapter 9 and you look at the 70 weeks of Daniel, they knew approximately when Messiah was supposed to show up. They just didn't like the one they got. Even though the Bible clearly teaches, as Peter makes mention of, that the Messiah was going to suffer. They wanted the king that was going to deliver them from Rome. What's that? Well, there, there might have been some greed in there, but they just they wanted to be a free people. They wanted to have that exalted position that Israel is going to have during the millennial kingdom, being able to look down on those dirty, rotten, Gentile nation people. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, they should have been looking for him. So this miracle, I mean, they've already been doing miracles for three years. So why, why is, is this such a big deal? And he goes on to say, or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Pastor stuck his head in today. He goes, you know, Al, if you don't do something in the power of the Spirit, then whatever you're doing, is no different than what Joe Biden's doing. <laughs> and he, he was kind of joking about the Joe Biden. He said, well, you could throw any name in there. That's, that's the reality of the measure. I have been saying for a while, a good work is not a good work unless it's empowered by the Spirit. It is as we're abiding in Christ, as we're letting his word dwell in us richly, as we're learning to walk in wisdom, walk in light, walk in the truth, participate in the divine nature, uh, walk in the spirit, and there's probably several other ways of saying the same thing. That, the things that we do when that's going on, those are good works, okay? And uh, other than that, what do we got to offer? See, he says... Why are you looking at us as though we could do it? One of the things that I see as I look at Christians in America today is when Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, that's almost a strange concept. We are a relatively um, self-starting, independent, self-sufficient people. We'll call God when we need him. As long as you're like that, you're kind of missing the point. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Yeah, you can go out and build a house. You can, uh, I was doing some premarital counseling this week, and, and uh, they, they were explaining, well, you know, I get busy with work. I get busy with school, and, and I kind of put my quiet time off to the side, and, and Jesus is kind of off to the side. I go, no, he isn't. Jesus is your life. So when you're a student, you're doing all that for Jesus. When you're learning how to do plumbing, you're doing all of that for Jesus. That's what you're supposed to be doing. So he is your life. He, you need him to do it all the way he wants it done. So that's why it says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you're doing it all to the glory of God. Because we can't do anything that has eternal value without him. And so Peter points that thing out. Letter B, reevaluating recent history. Uh, it, it is amazing how we like to evaluate recent history, um, especially if we're in some sort of a conflict. It is always someone else who did something wrong. Is that not true? I, I, trying to put the blame on me or take some of the blame, we, we just really don't like that part. 
And uh, so he reevaluates recent history for him. Uh, notice God's proven choice of a Savior in 13a and 15b. Let me uh, turn there real quick. Uh, 13a, it says, uh, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, uh, was glorif- has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed... He's glorified him. How did he do that? Well, look at 15. Uh, B, whom God raised from the dead, we are witnesses of this. Okay? So uh, God has, this is God's proven choice of Savior. In 13b, 15a, and 17, we see the people's rejection. Uh, Notice it says, Whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, but you denied the Holy One and the just, and killed the Prince of Life. I mean, he he just kind of slams it home. You guys did this. Uh, In going through the gospel, I've heard a variety of preachers on uh, social media, on YouTube and stuff like that, uh, say that we really need to be speaking of the love of God. Yeah, people are concentrating too much on sin. You know, the terrible thing is, is you really don't understand the love of God until you understand the uh, holiness of God that your sin deserves that you should go to hell forever. But God has made a way. And so Peter is putting it right there. You guys did this. I mean, you think about it. Um, yes, the religious leaders were d- definitely very involved. And obviously Satan and his little crew were uh, influencing minds and all of that kind of stuff. But these people said, we have no king but Caesar. You know, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Wow. Okay, Uh, so they were guilty, and he points this out. And then he talks about God's doing. In verse 16, first of all, this is how the guy was healed. It was uh, by faith in the name of Jesus that this guy was healed. Uh, And notice, he also says that God foreordained and foretold of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, verses 18, 22 through 26. He talks about Moses saying, hey, guys, God's going to raise up a prophet like unto me. You better be listening to him. And then he talks about all the prophets, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days in verse 24. Whole point being is, yeah, you guys are guilty of doing this, but God already told us that that's what was going to happen. Okay? And that brings us to... um, Number three, the covenantal, God's covenantal promises. Uh, and, he, and, and verse 19 and 21, uh, you need to read this for a minute because being dispensationalists, we know church started in Acts chapter 2, right? And Israel, they're off to the side. But notice what Peter says here in verse 19. He says, Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What on earth is he talking about? How about verse 21? He says, Heaven must welcome him until the times of restoration of all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. What is the seasons of refreshing and the times of restoration? What is that? 
Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find that when God uses that terminology, he is talking about what we uh, talk about, the millennial kingdom. So Peter is saying, hey, guys, first of all, get, get saved, okay? Repent, okay? Uh, turn back to God, and we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Now, he's talking to Jewish people. He's talking about a promised kingdom to the Jewish people, even though we're in the church age. Does that somehow separate um, our our dispensational theology? No, not at all. Not at all. Look, God knew that they weren't, as a nation, going to uh, believe, and he knew what he was doing, but... The offer is still on the table. You know, if you guys would turn as a nation, we could kind of, after a short period of time, get back to the promises of God. Uh, but of course, God knew that that wasn't going to happen. So times are refreshing and restoration. And then in verse 20, he talks about uh, uh, Christ's return, that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Uh, again, notice Peter is talking about Jesus coming back as though it's going to be in his lifetime. He's expecting this to happen soon, okay? And then, of course, notice uh, to Abraham, the covenantal promises, and in, all your, uh, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So again, he, he's pointing out, even though they have the responsibility to repent, to turn away from their iniquities, God is going to be doing that uh, for them also. So that brings us to verse 19, uh, man's response. And in verse 19, uh, having read it already, but the first part of it there, he says, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped uh, away. Um, The word for repent there is meta metanoeo, uh, to think differently, or afterwards reconsider, uh, morally to feel compunction or repent. Now, if you go back to verses 13 and 15, uh, consider what he says there. Verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had be decided uh, to release him. Verse 15, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Okay? So what are they going to be repenting of? Well, they thought that this was just some guy. They didn't need to give him his proper place. They didn't accept him as the Messiah. So part of their repentance is going to be changing their mind about that. Okay? And within repentance, letter B, submission to God. Faith in what he has said instead of the traditions of men. Why are people so easily deceived about a lot of things when it comes to the Bible? Uh, see uh, videos where people are talking about the lost books of the Bible, the books that men didn't want to be in the Bible. Kind of like, you know, if you guys had half a brain, did a little bit of historical research, you'd find out they're not in the Bible for a reason. In fact, it's it's interesting because the Catholic Church says they determined what books were going to be in the Bible. And then 1,200 years later, 
they realized they made a mistake. They forgot to put the Apocrypha in the Bible. So they added it in the 1500s. The rest of the Bible was recognized as being inspired all the way back there in 300. Okay? Um, so there's a lot of people that think they know an awful lot of stuff about the Bible that they just don't get it. And so when a person comes to Christ, they are believing what he has said instead of traditions, propaganda, whatever you want to call it, of men. Okay? So that brings us to chapter 4. And now we are going to deal with resistance without. What brings the resistance? The miracle and the message. The message was offering salvation if people would turn from what they used to believe to believe what God had said. No, no evil deeds in that, right? And yet, let's see what happens. Acts chapter 4. Uh, and now as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple police, the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. So they seized them, put them in custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So let's just look at letter A here for a minute. Uh, hatred of the truth. The religious leader's response. Man, uh, I've told you before, people don't like talking about politics in church. But think about some of the things that are going on right now with the FBI and a variety of Republicans. This is the same devil that is behind the Sadducees and the religious leaders. They hate a certain thing, and they're going to try and make a big mess out of it because they want everybody to believe what they say, not what might be the truth out there. Okay? And so same thing happens here, and that brings us to uh, number two here, the people's response in verse four, but many of those who heard the message believed in the number of the men came to about 5,000. So we see the hatred of the truth, and at the same time, the people, the very people that the religious leaders back in the Gospel of John said, the people are stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. So this is what we have to do so that we don't lose their attention. That's basically what they said. Okay? Those people, they don't want to believe, but those people that uh, listen to them, they're believing, 5,000 of them. So that brings us to Peter's explanation in verses 5 through 14. The next day, as rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you healthy. This Jesus is 
the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. So Peter's testimony in verses, uh, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, Peter's explanation, verses 5 to 14, the setting of the trial of Peter and John in verses 5 through 7, they tell you who's there. Uh, then we see, of course, the question asked, and that's when Peter gives testimony. You know, it's amazing. Uh, so many people... They're afraid to talk to people about Jesus. Yet, if you go back and read the Gospels, Jesus said, don't worry when you're standing before kings and governors and all that. Because in that moment, the Spirit of God will tell you what to say. If you are studying the Word of God, hang on, memorizing the Word of God, learning it, you do not need to have a canned program. You do not need to have all of the answers. All you need to do is be able to testify to people what he's done to you or for you and how they can also have that. Which, of course, means you're going to need to know the gospel. Okay? But for the most part, when you look at what Peter says here, they've already said he's uneducated, untrained, and yet. Okay? You may feel as though you need a Bible college degree. You don't. You need to walk with Jesus. He'll give you what to say when the time comes, okay? So notice uh, letter uh, B. Uh, well, letter A, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, letter B, he refers to the healing, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by him, this man stands here before you whole. So here's our evidence, Okay, the miracle confirms the message. Here's the miracle. Now listen to the message, okay? That brings us to the message in verses 10 through 12. And notice, once again, there is no pulling of punches. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And oh, by the way, there is salvation in no other I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, Larry King's uh, interview with John today. Well, what about Muslims and Buddhists? And he listed off a couple others. Unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they die, they will go to hell. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. That brings us to the leader's dilemma in verses 13 and 14. They, uh, what they saw, the boldness of Peter and John. <coughs> boldness. Does boldness mean the person doesn't have some fear? No, it means they've decided to not live according to their fear. Okay? So... Uh, uh, they 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 speak even though they know okay this might get me in a lot of trouble <laughs> okay they perceive that they were uneducated and untrained men uh, I find that there's a lot of them out there 
Doesn't mean they don't know anything. They just don't have the formal training. That's okay. Okay? They realized that they had been with Jesus. How? Well, in my 41 years of being saved, I can tell you that I'm normally a very shy person. Okay, so I lied. Uh, I can tell you that when I was younger, it was no problem to be boisterous about my faith in Christ because I had a lot of youthful exuberance, a lot of zeal, yes, a lot of knowledge. But the reality is, is the more I have learned to walk with him, the more confidence I have in what I understood to be truth all the way back here. When it comes to the concept of losing your salvation, biblically, theologically, <laughs> sorry, you can't. Well, what about the person? Oh, stop, okay? Forget the person, okay? God saves us to the uttermost. And I'm very, very confident of that. Why? Because I've been walking with him. I've studied his word. I see what he says he did. And I believe what he says he did. It's sufficient. The persons that are worried about people losing their salvation, they don't know some of the things of the Bible, of what salvation's all about. They're operating by feelings. And then they have the anecdotal thing where someone was part of a church for 10 years and they walked away. And what does my Bible say? They left us to prove that they were not one of us. So when you see here that they recognized they had been with Jesus, they showed forth a confidence. Why? <laughs> they walked with Jesus for three, three and a half years, and then they saw him raised again. He had walked with them. He had eaten with them. They had seen his scars, and they knew he was dead before that. Oh, yeah, not a problem. <laughs> confidence, not an issue, okay? And then, of course, the last thing they saw is that the man who had been healed was standing with them, and that left them, letter B, they couldn't say anything against it. They would have liked to have. They would have liked to have, but they couldn't. So that brings us to the leader's response in 15 through 22. 15 says, After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do to these men for an obvious sign evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. However, so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them, ordered them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered to them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old." So, what to do in verses eight, uh, 15 to 18? They command them to go out of the council. They conferred among themselves. They admit they can't deny the notable miracle, and they know that a bunch of people in Jerusalem already know about it. Uh, but 
They don't want this message, this preaching in the name of Jesus to continue because who looks bad in this story? They definitely do because they're the religious leaders. And if they keep on preaching like this, well, there might be a red wave. I mean, uh, uh, the, the people might not like them anymore. And again, I, I throw that little sarcasm in there because the same devil is working the same kind of stuff. If, if you look at what they're doing in politics today, they're operating just like these religious leaders. They, they want, yeah, here's this obvious truth over here. It's kind of like, hey guys, look over here. Look over here. Don't want you to see that because that makes us look bad. Same concept we're seeing in, in uh, our country today. So um, they don't want them to spread uh, any more news about Jesus. They uh, called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John's answer. I love this one. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Uh, I'm in uh, uh, the gym the other day, and I'm working out, and uh, Billy is training a woman, and she, so where's your church? And or where are you the pastor of what church? And so I was telling him about Edgemont. And she goes, oh yeah, that's up there and it's way off the road. I said, yeah, that's it. She goes, well, we go to Christ Church. I believe it's a, what used to be a United Methodist right around the corner. And uh, uh, she goes, we, we, we were Catholic and then we're Methodist. And now our church is basically non-denominational, which is a true statement. They broke away from the Methodist church, and there are a variety of reasons why they should have and finally did. <laughs> but uh, uh, whole point being is here we get talking about this stuff. And, well, you know, I think God loves everyone. Let's talk about that. Does he? Does he really? Well, did he? <laughs> the soul that loves deceit, God's soul hates. Um, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I... Yeah, God does hate some people. Now, I don't know who those people are. It's not my job to hate people, right? It's my job to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and my neighbor as myself. So even people that are just completely opposite and disagree with me about everything, I'm going to show respect and a certain amount of uh, love toward them. But, uh, you know, I understand what she thought she was saying, but I also know that, yeah, I, I cannot, just because I may love a person in, in Christ, it doesn't mean I have to agree with their behavior or their philosophy of life. Okay, and I think that's what she was trying to get across there. But, uh, but notice he says, we cannot but speak the things. Hey, walk with Jesus, and I guarantee you, you won't be able to keep your mouth shut about him. There's no turning on a light switch. Oh, today I get to talk about Jesus. Oh, tomorrow's a bad day. I'm not going to talk about him tomorrow. No, no. You walk with Jesus, and it's coming out of you. It may come out of you in a, a singing, happy attitude. What happens when you're filled with the Spirit? You are speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, you're giving thanks always for all things. Ooh. So those are the kinds of things that happen, and they knew that they couldn't help it. And then, of course, number three, uh, verse 21, more threats. 
So that brings us to letter D, uh, report to and prayer of the church in 23 through 31. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you or, uh, you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant to your slaves uh, that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place uh, where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Again, notice they they filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start talking about Jesus again. So number one, they, uh, the, they report to the church, verse 23, verse uh, 24 through 30 is their prayer. It is interesting, if you spend any time reading the Psalms and a variety of prayers in the Bible, how often uh, those that are praying or writing refer back to the fact that God is creator. Okay? Uh, and, and you think about that with me for just a minute. God said, boom, it was. Six days, not billions of years. If, if you think God needed billions of years, your God is too small. Six days. On the seventh day, you rested. Plants are around for a whole day before the sun's made. Okay? God is powerful. And then you consider how those systems all work together. Pastors told us about that kind of thing several times. The idea that I breathe in oxygen, I bring a, a breathe out carbon dioxide. Trees and plants breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. Boy, I'm so glad for plants. Okay? <laughs> um, it's just neat how that whole thing works together. And again, this is a reminder. Wow, God is awesome. He's powerful. And so as we're considering our little things that we're going to pray about, this is the God that created it all. Okay? And then, of course, <clears throat> a recognition of those that are against God in verses 25 through 26. Uh, and they bring out the uh, Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and imagine vain things and stuff like that. And then in verse 27, uh, they talk about how it was uh, demonstrated, how that uh, being against God was demonstrated in killing uh, their son but or his son. But letter D, top of the next page, God's hand is in all of it. When we look at where our country seems to be going, God did not slip and let something go that isn't totally in his control. Uh, do I, would I like it to be different? Sure. Does that matter? Yes and no. God understands my feelings. But God is running a plan. And that plan, even if it means bringing resistance from outside of the church, 
that plan is going to happen. Okay? And we can have confidence in that. And then, if, yes, sir? Yeah, yeah, amen. Yes, sir? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the funny thing is, is that's one of how many different types of animals that how could that have evolved? Uh, the, we've got a couple of videos in the uh, library uh, talking about that and said, okay, if evolution is the case, think about the woodpecker for just a minute. And the, the amount of pressure he puts in pounding his beak into that wood would have totally destroyed his brain. It'd be mush if they had to evolve and develop that skull that could handle that. And then, of course, the tongue that curls up inside of their head so they can shoot that thing into those little holes and, and get the ants and the bugs. And all, it's just absolutely amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, God is an all-powerful, wonderful God. And of course, then in the last couple of verses, they, uh, the, there's a supplication for boldness and God's demonstrated power. So here we are. We've been threatened. If we're going to say anything in the name of Jesus, uh, they're going to come back after us. What's my first thought? Maybe we should be quiet. Nope, Lord, we know we're supposed to go out and talk to people about Jesus. So we're going. Give us boldness. Give us grace. Give us the power, the, everything that's necessary the signs and wonders to confirm the message, the boldness to speak the message. Okay? And then, of course, verse 31, uh, the result, the whole place is shaken. Uh, God's sitting there saying, hey, guys, just want you to know, I'm with you. You know, that kind of a thing. And then, of course, that brings us to uh, genero uh, generosity plants the seed for resistance within. And verses 32 through 37. Now, the large group of those who believed were of one heart, and mine, and no one said that his any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there were, was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds, all of the things that were sold, and uh, laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed from each person's basic needs. Joseph, a Levite and a Cypriot or a Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold the field he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So that brings us to unity of the community. Unity of the community. Imagine church people liking each other, providing for one another's needs. Now, we may look at that and say, yeah, but hey, guys, we may be coming to a time where we better have this mentality, okay? I don't know about you, but we have some food uh, in our hiding places uh, for, uh, so that, you know, there's always enough, um, I, I just noticed we ran out of black beans. Now I got to go out and buy a bunch of black beans. <laughs> but uh, we ha we have baked beans, you know. So if nothing else, we're going to have canned baked beans. Okay, buy some extra noodles and things like that. Why? Because if the time comes that either the supply chain goes kablooey, and they're talking about uh, thirty percent of all the railroads going on strike uh, by uh, uh, I think tomorrow. Uh, yeah. So hope or Friday. Yeah. <clears throat> 
whole point being is some in the church may not have been able to prepare. And we may need to be helping one another. Now, we'll sit there and say, well, I gave food to the deacon's closet. They can go there. And I'm not disagreeing with you, but do you know how much we give out? Enough for a few meals. That's it. Okay? So unity uh, of the community. And then, of course, uh, they give the example of Barnabas. Uh, well, a bunch of people sold land, but uh, they specifically speak of Barnabas. And he sold his land, and he gave all the money to the apostles to be distributed as necessary. So that brings us to resistance within. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back a part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. There was an interval of about three hours. Then his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young man came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. So, the deception and its consequences. Now, they never really say it, but you can gather it from the, uh, the information that's giving. Uh, they start out with an introduction to Ananias and Sapphira and their land sale, verses 1 to 2. They sold some land. But apparently, in selling the land, they both agreed to donate some of the proceeds. Was that a problem? No. But apparently, they claimed that what was donated was all of the proceeds. Wow, aren't they generous? Okay? Now, that part I had to come to the conclusion on because it doesn't say that, but what it does say kind of leads us to that uh, conclusion. So that brings us to number two, Peter's confrontation of Ananias. Uh, what did they, uh, what they did was lie to the Holy Spirit. You know, it is interesting the way, you might remember Jesus at the uh, Judgment uh, at the judgment of the goats and the sheep. He said, "You guys, because you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me when I was in prison." And all those people are going, uh, "Excuse me, when did we do that?" And Jesus said, "When he did it to one of the least of these, my brethren." And then the goats. He says, you didn't do, you didn't do, you didn't do. And they go, uh, excuse me, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, you didn't do it to one of the least of these, my brethren. You know the way we treat one another? That's how we're treating God. Ouch. Okay? Uh, because, yes, even in a church, there's gossip, there's judgment, 
You know what I mean? You know, you're, you're not doing it to that person. You're doing it to God is the way God looks at it. Now, you can give all the theological reasons why and all that kind of, not important. What's important is that we understand the way we treat people is how God sees us treating him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they're lying to the Holy Spirit. Uh, letter B, you could, you could have done as you please with your proceeds, but you lied to God. You know, if you wanted to give us 50% of it and keep 50% of it, that have been totally okay. But you gave it to us and said you gave us all of it. All right? And then Ananias dies and is buried. So Peter's confrontation of Sapphira, verses 7 to 10. Uh, while he was talking to Ananias, Sapphira decided to take some of the proceeds and go out and buy shoes. They were special shoes. She had an orthotic problem and all that kind of stuff. And it took her about three hours. And by the time she comes back, Peter specifically asks her, did you sell the land for this much? And she says, yes. Oh, so he rebukes her for testing God and he gives the sentence. The guys that just buried your husband, they're going to come in and bury you and boom, she dies. And of course, she's buried. The results of all of this, verse 11, everyone who knows about it, saved and unsaved alike, have uh, a fear of God. Okay? Letter B, growth of the church, verses 11 to 16. I'll go through this quick, and then you can look at the rest yourself. Uh, there's more resistance without. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, we already read verse 11, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a large group came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, being sick, and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So um, what causes real church growth? You've got to have the right kind of music, the right kind of lighting, the fog machine. No. Fear keeps unbelievers away. This whole idea of a seeker-friendly format, we want to make them feel comfortable. Can I tell you something? If unbelievers come in off the street at Edgemont Bible Church, and we're a teaching church, we're, we're not the big music thing and all, we don't care about the big, someone else can care about it, it doesn't matter to us, okay? We want to make unbelievers that know nothing about the Word of God feel comfortable. But that doesn't change the message, okay? It doesn't change uh, what we're going to teach, it doesn't make it shallower. It's we continue to teach. Why? Because this is an assembly of called out ones. It is helping, equipping you for the work of the ministry. It is preparing you to go out and shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation so that you might consecrate the Lord God in your heart and live in such a way that if someone asks you, you have an answer for the hope that is in you. That's what it's really all about. So if unbelievers want to come here, we want them to feel comfortable, but I guarantee you they're not going to feel comfortable with the preaching of the truth. God may bring them anyway, okay? But 
That's what part of the problem with the man-made marketing schemes that so many churches are using today. Uh, we really need to understand that fear keeps unbelievers away. But those who drew, truly believe or those whom God is working in, they're going to come. Okay, that's verses 11 to 14. Uh, these people, they may have had a fear and didn't want to come, but notice they're bringing the sick for healing, even from other towns. Okay? So uh, we can trust God that he knows what he's doing when it comes to church growth, and we can do what we're supposed to do. Now, the last part there, verses 17 through 42, uh, Peter is arrested again. <coughs> Boy, I imagine if your pastor was arrested twice, what would you think? They give us the reason, then there's the arrest. And then in the middle of the night, uh, apparently the angel of the Lord shows up and lets him out. (laughs) And so the next day when they go looking for him, all the gates are locked and they're not there. But... Uh, God's undoing the religious leaders in verses 20 through through 25. And then, of course, where are they? They're back at the temple preaching, okay? And uh, so they they bring those guys back in, and uh, basically they command them again not to do it. And they basically say, hey, uh, we're going to obey God, period. At that point, these guys want to do some heavy damage to Peter and John, uh, but uh, Gamaliel uh, calls them aside and says, hey, guys, let's uh, consider a little bit of history here. If these guys are from God, do you really want to fight against God? And if not, in time, they're all going to go away. Let me read a couple of verses for you. Uh, we, uh, why we obey God and don't fight against God. Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 through 27. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Uh, why? Because uh, in verses, yeah, where am I? There I am. 10 through 18, uh, basically everybody's got to bow down and uh, worship his uh, statue. And uh, the Jewish boys didn't do that. And so uh, he says, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. And they say, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, no. Uh, Our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to another God. So they heat up the oven seven times hotter. They throw them in there. The guys that actually throw them in the oven are killed because the heat is just so bad. And and this is what uh, happens. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. They saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their heads was not singed, nor their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. God is able to deliver. He may not. You got Daniel. He got thrown into the uh, lion's den, right? Yeah, he spent the night with the lions, probably sleeping on one of their bellies, you know. And then came out the next day. God is able to deliver. Why is that important for us to understand? If we face resistance, 
our job is to do what God has called us to do. It's not to worry about the resistance. It's to do what God has called us to do. God may deliver us, and he may deliver us another way. We might go to see him. Uh, It's not a problem either way, right? Well, let's close in prayer. One is not out yet, so you've got a couple of minutes. Um, Let me go ahead and close so that uh, those that need to go pick up kids and stuff like that will have plenty of time. Let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we recognize that in living the Christian life, in some cases, you may attract some to the gospel. But we also recognize that anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's going to be resistance. We're going to get blamed for things we didn't do. Uh, we're going to be labeled and, and uh, treated improperly. And we recognize, Lord, that our Savior went through the same thing much worse. We ask, Father, that when those days come, that we would remember the truth and that we would stand on the truth. That we might be able to rejoice like Peter and John, saying that we've been found worthy to suffer for your namesake. The things that you're doing, I know sometimes it's a struggle. We fall on our face more times than we'd like to admit. But we thank you that ultimately the victory is there for us. Open our understanding so that we might experience that not only for the pleasure of the victory, but for the glory of God. We do ask that you'd continue to work in the hearts and minds of the children that are coming here for Awana. And Lord, that they might not only learn about who Jesus is, what he's done for them, but truly the truth of the gospel would become theirs and that they would grow up learning how to serve him. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a good night. Lord willing, we'll see you this weekend.